This is Concepts, where two pretentious sirs quibble over ideas that explain today's world. Phil Shea and Steve Rose. Welcome to the Concepts Podcast. Welcome. Steve is taking the reins on this one again. It's the second time. So, Steve, what are we talking about? We're talking about fundamental attribution error. Yes. <laughs> Sounds super boring. It, well, it? yeah. And also, I think it's a more technical name because I ended up looking up something when you told me that we we're going to be doing this. Yeah. So the easier one is actor observer bias. I was actually, I always confused the two because I thought they were different, but apparently they're pretty similar, almost synonyms. Yeah. Care to elaborate? I don't know if we're going to title this your concept or mine is the same thing when it comes down to it. Although fundamental attribution error sounds like a super technical, boring title, it's actually a a really interesting concept that I've been fascinated by for years. Uh, It's huge in social psychology, explains a lot uh, about um, our perceptions of other people and their perceptions of us, and it explains society and, and all the rest of it we can get into. The simple definition from the APA dictionary, that's the American Psychological Association's online dictionary, quote, it's the tendency to overestimate the degree to which an individual's behavior is determined by his or her abiding personal characteristics, attitudes, or beliefs, and correspondingly to minimize the influence of the surrounding situation on that behavior. That sounds super technical, but it's a simple... Yeah, I was going to say we should dumb that down. (laughs) The easy way of saying it, it's when others mess up, they're bad. But when you mess up, it's not your fault. Yeah, I was just tired and hungry and everyone else should obviously know this because like I had a rough day so far. But that guy, he came in and was just a dick to everybody. He is an asshole. Yeah, to put it more simply, it's... When we judge someone else's behavior, we judge it as due to personal characteristics. When we judge our own behavior, we judge it as uh, situational factors. For others, it's internal and static. It's permanent. For ourselves, it's externally caused and temporary. Yes. I was just having a bad day, but that guy's a jerk. Yes. Before we dive too far into this, actually, I wanted to cover the fallacy of change that I came across when finishing up the episode six, uh, Cognitive Distortions. So a cognitive distortion that I found that was useful, and I thought I would just bring it up here to throw it in. To derail my episode right from the beginning. Yeah. that's. I mean, it's a power move. I just got to take it. It's mine now. Oh. Yeah. So I thought it was very interesting, especially since I tend to succumb to it. Maybe that's particularly why I think it's interesting. Oh, everything's about you. Exactly. So exactly. That's what this is about. The fallacy of change. Okay. The fallacy of change. So the easiest definition is from Wikipedia. I'll just read it. Quote, relying on social control to obtain cooperative actions from another person. The underlying assumption to this thinking style is that one's happiness depends on the actions of others. Fallacy of change also assumes that other people should change to suit one's own interests automatically and or or that it is fair to pressure them to change, end quote. The next, not great, the next line basically says that it's present in most abusive relationships because uh, I tend to try to egg someone on when I think I've got the solution for them and I, I've come to let go of that over time, but I thought it was something that would be useful to at least bring up. What do you think? Well, of course, as an addiction counselor, that's the fundamental uh, truth of how to, to talk to someone is to not try to pressure or force change or to assume your answer is the answer. 
and it's letting go of expectations. So I completely agree. Right. Circling back again to that, um, they are the masters of their own world or what was it? Experts of their own lives. That's it. Yeah. People are experts of their own lives and they are not experts of other people's lives, which brings us back to our concept of... Exactly. There we go. <laughs> Nicely brought back, tucked right in. <laughs> yes. Seamless. Yes. And so when we see someone do something we dislike, we would make assumptions about that person's character. Hmm. And the fundamental attribution error teaches us that we are often mistaken when we make judgments about other people. And maybe we'll get into a few practical examples uh, to, to really drive this home again. A really common example is when you are in, when you're driving and somebody just cuts you off. And what's the first thing you say? or think about that person. I don't drive very often, but I would guess some sort of <laughs> expletive swearing at them, calling them a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Or that person is selfish. They are mean, rude, reckless, dangerous, dangerous. personal characteristics. We're judging personal characteristics here. And now mm-hmm. let's flip, flip it around. What's the first thing you think when you accidentally cut someone off? I mean, you would obviously examine the factors that influenced it. Like, I don't know, you dropped something you were, in, you were holding on to or you were switching the radio or you didn't notice this thing ahead of you on the road that you had to swerve to avoid. Right. Or but the other drivers may not see that. Or you'd say something like, that person came out of nowhere. When you cut someone off? Yeah. Why would you? Oh, because you weren't aware that they were in yeah. your blind spot. Yeah, yeah. you right. cut someone off. It's an accident. And you're like, whoa, that person came out of nowhere. So when, when someone cuts us off, that person is bad. When we cut someone else off, it was a uh, kind of a, a situational thing. It says nothing about our character. Right. Though I can see the benefit of this, like why it would have evolved. Cause if you think about it, well, for one, like our perspective always makes us aware of all the things that are going on. And we, we see the factors, at least the, the overarching factors. We may not know like our subconscious's reaction sometimes, but most of the time. I think also it's more useful because we're trying to predict other people's behaviors and we're trying to see what is a constant pattern with them. In this particular example, this person's a one-off. They're not necessarily going to even enter our lives across our paths again. So thinking this person's dangerous, I should avoid them, would seem to be functional to me. What do you think? Is it really functional though? Shouting expletives and, and believing that person is evil and bad and selfish. From my understanding, that only leads Mm. to increased anger and then more reckless driving, perhaps tailgating them, cutting them off uh, as a retaliation. And I've heard a recent story of of someone actually getting out of their car and slamming on the window of that car that cut them off. (laughs) And so is it really functional to to be going around with this error? I would say you are, well, one, it's not an either or error. This is a false dichotomy. It's not black and white. It's definitely a gradient because like we may recognize that they have these things. But also what you're describing is somebody with emotional control issues, probably rage issues that they can't step away from it because it's still not like, okay, how we respond to that is still independent of where we place the blame, right? Because if I think that person's crazy, I'm going to avoid them. And I'm like, there's no point in getting angry because I'm not going to like take retribution on them. I'm not going to seek to get revenge. For me, I would just take that as a warning to like avoid this person because they may do some erratic thing before, like again, which could again endanger me. So I would get away, but I can see how some people would run with it. Most people. That's I think a different issue. I think you're being extremely rational here. I think most people 
a lot of people are going to get a fear response and then get annoyed, but not many are going to fully go into like a barbarian rage of just like <laughs> seeking to hunt this person down. That is not the majority of people. I think the majority of people throw the driver out of their car and teach them a life lesson. Yeah. I think if that were, if you actually believe that, which I don't think you do, no, but if no. you did, I would say you're extremely primed with the people you're speaking to in these uh, counseling calls of yours. You're getting distressed people <laughs> who need you to talk them down. Yeah. Yeah. This is just kind of a, a helpful reframe that I, I do talk about actually with, with clients really, maybe who have tendency toward anger. And we look at reframing. This is an example that I often bring up and an opportunity for people to practice reframing and not just for, for traffic road rage, but for other situations in life where they are often blaming other people, other people are bad. And so the traffic example is a, an opportunity to practice when it happens, because if you drive any distance, you will frequently encounter these scenarios and you can use them as opportunities to practice reframing saying, okay, is this person inherently bad and selfish and reckless and all the rest of it? Or let's look at other potential options. Maybe they have a sick child they are rushing to the hospital. Maybe there's an elderly person, a family member dying and they have to make it there to say their last goodbyes. Maybe they just have really bad diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they just burnt themselves by spilling coffee on their lap. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> What else? What are, I mean, that's a reframe. It's a reframe. But that reframe's not even, I mean, that part isn't even necessary. Like, let's say they are just a careless asshole. Like, I mean, you're right that we should challenge that belief to begin with. But even if they are, and we know for a fact, based on the history of this person, that they're generally a jerk, it's still within our control to not react with uncontrolled rage and to see that they are <laughs> i mean i guess my whole like i was saying the other day to you was about like free will and how to view ourselves they are still just as dale carnegie says there before the grace of god go i it's just another person that if we were them we would act exactly as they do so even if they are a jerk they can't help it that's how their their brain chemistry forces them to act even with the understanding that they are a bad person by your measure, we can still control our response in that they are, that is just who they are. And we just have to control ourselves in a way that protects ourselves from their abuse. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, you've almost essentialized them as this is so much part of their character. It's even like genetic woven in. It's who they are. They're just a jerk. I'm saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going to the opposite extreme. I'm saying even if that were true, you can still manage your life in a functional way that doesn't require you to give them all these excuses. Because the reason I'm hesitant to give into that entirely is because having studied psych and obviously known a lot of people who have also studied psych, you kind of see this common tendency of people to say, they have, say, an abusive family member and they're like, oh yeah, but they're like this for a reason. And they go through all the reasons for mm -hmm. it, but then they don't go the next step and protect themselves. They continue to endure that, that abuse because they can see why the person is abusive. The person themselves who is abusive likely suffered abuse themselves yep. at an earlier point, yeah. And that's where they picked it up as well as genetics. The problem, though, is that they continue to endure the suffering and abuse from that person because they can explain it. But explanation does not necessarily mean justification nope. or accepting that behavior. It doesn't. Of course it doesn't. And, and so you can accept that something comes from somebody's past trauma or whatever and situational factors and not necessarily have to label them an inherent abuser. And you say, well, the hurt people hurt people. Okay. And it doesn't mean you put yourself back in the situation. And so there's, it's, it's a both and rather than or, you know what I mean? 
I mean? Act, yeah. And for the driver, the driver, uh, you know, it, it, maybe they do have really bad diarrhea and they're like speeding to get to a, a public <laughs> washroom. I'm just wondering how many times this describes you. <laughs> Never, never. I barely drive these Not days. Not once, I'm sure. I barely even drive these days. Yeah, his, historically speaking. Anyway, so, sir, continue with your thought. So this could be true. And it doesn't justify being reckless because now you're not going to only have GI problems. You're going to have, or, or messy pants problems. You're going to have like harming people on the road problems. So it can explain it and it doesn't justify it. Right. Cause you're still raising the risk of the people around you from the perspective. Again, I guess I'm fo- you're focusing on two aspects of the same problem. I think yours is about diagnosing the cause and I'm talking about our response to yeah. whatever we diagnose the cause to be. Exactly. Well, two things. One was a response to what you just said. It was uh, that video. I really hope I can find it for the, the show notes. The, your trauma response triggers my trauma response or triggers my trauma. Yeah. My trauma response triggers your trauma. My trauma response triggers your trauma. Yeah, that uh, one. That's a, it's like a yeah, it electronic so uh, beat put to that statement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And repeated. Uh, there's that but also from from my side the quote that comes to mind is um anger is like holding on to a a hot coal and waiting to throw it at them you're you're basically just hurting yourself in in the attempt of an end that's not going to help anybody ultimately so it's probably best to let it go yeah and and the reason why i bring up letting it go connected to fundamental attribution error and reframing is because the reframing is one way to let it go right like you can still be cautious driving around a reckless person and say well, maybe they're racing to the hospital or what, some other kind of compassionate uh, reasoning. Hmm. And so it doesn't necessarily dictate that you're just like, oh, they're just doing that. Keep going. Do, you know, do, do what you got to do. It's more <laughs> of like a way to keep your anger in check because you're less prone to anger when you frame it that way. True. This also makes me think of another possible reason would be cultural differences. Because in China, they drive kind of, by comparison to here, a lot more recklessly. But the the thing that's amazing to me is that despite the density in Beijing, they actually had, I witnessed very few accidents. And I think the reason this is, is because when we cross cultures in this way, there are a number of laws on paper that we should follow. But as we know, driving, we often don't follow all of them, or maybe we're not even aware of all of them. Like I think in Canada, for instance, and probably a lot of North America, uh, we drive on the right side of the road. If you are in the left lane, the center lane of a, say, a four lane street, you're supposed to seek the right lane at all times. You're not supposed to stay in the left lane. It's mainly for passing by design. That's the law. However, people ignore that all the time. They Mm -hmm. just drive on both sides, right? Likewise, in China, they had a collective shared understanding, generally speaking, of which laws are upheld in practice and which laws are basically ignored. And when they come here, for instance, or we go there, we don't have that shared understanding, that cultural context for which mm-hmm. laws are not fitting. And we tend to conform to the ones we're, we're used to. And so the people around us aren't aware that we're going to break this in that way without knowing that that's possible. We'll do something and possibly cause an accident or make people think that we're crazy or bad drivers. When in reality, we're just, we're in a different cultural context. Anyway, that's just another explanation that came to mind. That's, that's very much related to a point that I wanted to discuss that cultural context does matter also for the fundamental attribution error. Interesting. Uh, could you imagine which societies are more prone to this error? Japan. Whoa. You didn't, you didn't even let me finish the question. 
I thought you were framing up for which one, which people might not follow this. Yes. Uh, who, who would, I would say individualist societies exactly. would be most likely to give into it. Whereas I thought you're going to ask which ones didn't, yes. which I think Japan would be number one for that's collectivists why, why putting the blame on oneself. That's why you have to wait for me to finish sometimes. I got to jump the gun. I'm excited. <laughs> Whoa, too much, too much. Okay. <laughs> I'm engaged. What do you want? <laughs> I guess I'm just so engaging. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> but you're right. Yes. Americans or individualistic societies, Western societies in general, are actually more prone to the fundamental attribution error uh, than collectivist societies. For example, Japan, as you quickly uh, note, noted there. <laughs> and so there's a study by uh, Miller uh, in 1984. We can link this. They did a study on American children, comparing them to Hindu Hindu children, and they found that uh, as American children grow older, they place increasing reliance upon uh, disposition or the person's character as an explanation for uh, events that they are observing, whereas the children in India, by contrast, uh, place more explanations on situational factors. And so they, they were actually able to note that the cultural context really matters. I'm actually curious about that experiment because like I'd want to do a manipulation check, which is something that you do in experiments to make sure that the thing that you're manipulating or the thing that you're measuring is actually what you think it is. Mm -hmm. So in this context, Hinduism is a stand-in for collectivism, but I'm not, I mean, India is a more collectivist society, but why Hinduism? I'm curious. Anyway, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Hindu children of India, so from India, I guess it would just happen to be specifying the demographic. Yeah, I'm just, it's odd. I assume that the researchers found that there's a correlation there, but I just, yeah. maybe because like, I guess we're all like with reincarnation and all that, we we're all united in that way. All life is roughly, I guess, equal in doing what it does. So I guess maybe that's why, I don't know. I just think uh, the context of India or more of a collectivist context was what they were referring to. Sure. I'd want to see the study uh, done in Japan as you so quickly notified. <laughs> No, did again. <laughs> Wait, you do you have one, or you you say no, you I would, want to see I one? I would like to see that study repeated in Japan. Though the problem with Japan now is we can talk about what's going on there. Uh, it's turning very much individualistic in in a strange way. Oh, right, yeah, true. Actually, funny enough, I was just speaking to, I reached out to one of my Japanese friends I studied Mandarin with. He is living, I think, in Vietnam, but he was, I was asking him how it is in terms of keeping in touch with people uh, in Japan and the kind of career workload. So that, that's interesting that you brought it up. Yeah. And, and the, the consumerization of dating is another interesting right. area as well. Yeah. So they, they're turning highly individualistic in, in some ways, yet there's a lot of honor and, and custom. So they're, they're kind of both going on. I'd want to really see yeah, multiple contexts compared. So but hold on though. What's that? Honor doesn't necessarily conflict with uh, individualist society. Americans had honor cultures in the South, the Appalachian region. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Let's see. What's the connection here? Cultures of honor, they value loyalty and local community over reliance on large bureaucracy. Yes, but that's also because of the context that they arise from. Cultures of honor typically come from situations where they can easily be have their entire wealth rustled, mm -hmm. aka like herding cultures. So yeah. if you have all your money in cows, then you have to be very adamant to protect your honor because any slight that you let slide makes it seem like you're weak and people will come and beat you up and take all your wealth, leaving you and your family destitute. So that's yeah. kind of where it came from. Yep. I'm not really sure how that happened in Japan because they were more of a farming society from what I understand, mm -hmm. but I guess they were warring a lot. Yeah. I don't know. So anyway, we got a little derailed there. 
Where, where were you going? Yeah, it's just noting the, the differences between different societies and individualistic ones like the American, the idea of the American dream, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And this this leads to a, a kind of a discussion question that I planned for. Wait, hold on. Can you can you hold on to that? Because it's yeah. we can jump back onto that. Yeah. But I had something What's that? to say with what you just said. Where it kind of comes from, the individualization in, in Japan, at least, is the concept I, I wanted to do, and probably we may do next, is uh, internalized capitalism. Because for them, they were very collectivist, but as they've gotten more and more affluent and everyone is pushed to be like this cult of productivity, like they have the whole concept of people dying at their at their desks and being kind of estranged from their parents. The parents push them to have kids. Kind of, It's very similar to China, actually, in, in the pressures socially, where the parents push them to perform because they're worried that if their kid doesn't like constantly perform and constantly train, then they will fall behind and then the entire family will be dishonored and fall behind. Mm-hmm. So they end up end up being estranged from their parents a lot of the time because they are just so focused on the performance outcomes and less on whether the kids are happy. In a result, it ends up being more isolating. Like I have friends that say that they, they, they're kind of similar to us in a way, well, me in a way, where you kind of keep yourself as a contained unit and you reach out to your parents occasionally, but with a certain purpose, not just to emote it seems like you're correct in that. And like, again, with all the working, they, they have no date time for no prospects for dating or time for dating because Mm. they've both had no experience all of their formative years. They've been just training too much, the upper ones at least. Mm. Um, And so they, they end up having no skills in that and are maybe too shy, especially in Japan where social judgment is so strong. This really does lead into the question very well, actually. Okay. Does laziness exist? Does laziness actually, this is, I really love that question because I think, yes, laziness is an inherent trait to most species because we don't want to waste energy needlessly. The whole use it or lose it concept is a mechanism that fully lives in our body. Like if you don't use your muscles, they wither away because your body doesn't want to waste resources Mm -hmm. maintaining that. And actually... I really wish I would have revisited that video before this. Just ran out of time. Yeah, you sent me the perfect video right before, and I didn't yes. have time to watch it. And it was on this exact topic. There was a philosopher that she brings up in that video, which I guess we'll link as well. I, I wanted to dive further into that, where they said that I, I think this is a memory based off like five days ago in passing. I think they said that to be lazy is laziness is a virtue in a way because that's kind of the foundation of all technology and science. We're like Mr. Freeburn in uh, high school, grade ten science if you remember this he was talking about how scientists are lazy and that's why they just developed all these things so we can do things easier and and have more free time love it where that video i didn't close that loop where that video went was that to be a full citizen or to be a great person of history you have to have the ability to be lazy to have downtime where you aren't constantly being productive so you can focus on endeavors that are truly your your gift, your your benefit. Like, mm. uh, what's his name? The mushroom guy. He's a monomaniac that focuses entirely on mushrooms. And Paul Stamets. And he's pretty much driving the field forward single-handedly. Right. And I guess in his early days of starting that, people may have called him lazy if he was slacking off at work because he was too busy obsessing over mushroom articles or not wanting (laughs) to work and taking a part-time position so that he can focus on his mushroom hobby. You can imagine that... uh, Sounds familiar. In America, where it's very individualistic, you would have people saying, "He's, he's lazy. So the fundamental attribution error of bringing it down to personal characteristics, saying he's Mm. a bad person and engaging in judgment because of that 
and that's kind of why that question came about was when it comes down to blaming everything on everyone's personal characteristics, are we blaming the victim when it comes to poverty in America? Yes. I think a lot of the time America suffers from a, a chronic case of, well, that's where I was going to go with that meritocracy, yes. both meritocracy and lazy fair capitalism. Both are terrible because they end up where we currently are. Like why I wanted to talk about internalized capitalism, we'll get to it. But it's like this whole podcast, like this is me kind of trying to both help the discourse in whatever small way I can or we can. And also monetizing one of my hobbies, which is just looking up and researching stuff and and, and discussing interesting ideas. So like even that... is I, I guess I'm trying to fight against that laziness that would be leveled against us. But for Stamets, for instance, for the mushroom guy, he would be labeled lazy until he started making money. When people saw that it was making money, then suddenly he's a genius. Yeah. And that's the kind of frustrating part of all this. Exactly. And, and so the initial judgments until it makes money and money being the, the only metric for success. And we, we right. tend to, to judge people who are not making money, people who are living in poverty in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, there's quite a bit of poverty. The wealthiest country in all of history yeah. and in the world for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's And yet they can't afford to have like basic social supports that would allow people to take more risks entrepreneurially, yeah. for instance, that would help the economy. Yeah. It's a whole thing, man. Yeah. And so not looking at situational factors of how that person got there and why the system's failing them. Pull them up by their bootstraps, which is ironic because it was literally an impossible task and still remains to be one. Yeah. But I, I, before we move on, I wanted, I didn't fully t- mention the meritocracy thing. Uh, there's been a couple books I've read about this where they seem to be turning their back on that concept as a generally a bad idea because the whole meritocracy trap is one of the book's names. Uh, I don't remember. One of them was good. And one of them was really, really dry. I don't talk about it often because I don't have a solution or a fully formed take on it. But its argument is basically that meritocracy actually screws the lower half and really screws the upper 10% as well. Because while we look at these rich and glamorous people, they typically have to constantly be training and don't have downtime and constantly have to up their game or also be judged by other people. And that judgment is, I mean, fear of failure is a huge thing for a lot of people. But I got in this debate kind of in line with that too about how fame is abuse in a way because the more famous you are the less you can actually do and the more you just get random hate from people unsolicitedly spontaneously all the time so it's this whole intermingling cycle and i don't know if this is clear at all yeah meritocracy is yeah the idea if you're not familiar uh, it's the idea that you get what you deserve based on your efforts and how good you are at something right and, which encourages people to just like you said in the japanese example spend all their time trying to get good and then it puts everyone in a, in a rat race. And so the top 10% spends their whole life working. Well, yeah. Like if we look at even the most rich people, like many of them are not just having leisurely 10 hour work weeks. They're having like 60, 80 hour work weeks. And I'm not saying to pity them either, but I think we can agree that the system isn't great for us to think that only the best will survive this kind of a social Darwinist approach to things. Yes. Uh, yeah. But I think we're, we're kind of getting into the weeds a bit. Well, it still relates to the idea of uh, blaming the victim of this type of a system that if somebody chooses to opt out of playing that game that they are inherently lazy and bad right this brings me back to one of our discussions earlier the losers remember the right. remember the loser discussion of course <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm the one that edits these things and we just released it not too long ago <laughs> if you're interested uh what episode is it in um that's episode three yeah. i think it's where we first get our stride it's one of our most listened to episodes so. a growth mindset one of my favorite episodes we talk about the concept of losers, and this relates to this. 
because we blame people and that's an inherent thing we, we might level at someone. But even to zoom in closer, the lawn feces example. Yeah. I do, I do want to call that back. Sure. Are we engaging in fundamental attribution error? If somebody strolls into your lawn, <laughs> takes a dump on it and walks away, and then we say, that person is a loser, as you said back then. No, I don't think I labeled them a loser. I don't think it was quite so cut and dry that way. No, I think it wasn't. What happened was I said that we, like sometimes there are losers. I was trying to think of the, the, the prototypical loser. And that one I think was a bad example because we addressed that, like the more ca- compassionate, like to shit on somebody's lawn is pretty out of character a lot of the time. And if it isn't, then yeah, I guess you are an <laughs> asshole probably or ser- seriously mentally unwell again, yeah. which is probably the more likely thing. But yeah. that's the issue I think a lot of times. Situational factor. Well, yeah, but I think a lot of time, well, mentally unwell, that can be situational but can also be an internal stable trait if you're yeah. if it's genetic yeah. uh, but also thing is mental health problems often present as being an asshole as often as being abrasive and that that's the difficult thing you're meaning uh, like personality disorder specifically no i'm not i'm oh. i'm saying like depressed people can also one of the manifestations of depression can be being irritable and being easily triggered mm. by whatever and, and having yeah. a, a negative lashing out reaction yeah so a lot of the time, many forms of addiction or not addiction, mental health, including addiction, yep. uh, can manifest as being just an intolerable person. Mm. And if we look at personality in particular, that's even trickier because where does the person end and the mental health problem begin? They're both part of the system and maybe it's situational. It was triggered by a sudden stress event, but it could still become a, a chronic thing within them. Either way, like that's why I think that while I do agree that we should probably look at the context, we should also... I think your response from that one that I took away from it that I've still been thinking about was the more compassionate approach because, again, it's all kind of coming together with things I've been thinking about lately, that it's not their fault. They can't control it. They couldn't do any difference. And if we were them, we would be doing the same. Yeah. So I think it all kind of ties together that we should try to aim for compassion regardless. Yeah. Which can be easier said than done. Yeah. In the case of addiction, there's there's a long history to this, too. Maybe we can talk about the war on drugs in the future, but to moralize addiction has been a huge problem and to... For sure. Incarcerate people with addictions and to call them bad people. You know, that's, that's been, there's a long history of that happening. So that's kind of... Chasing the Scream. Yeah. That's a book, just because people don't know about that. It's a book that talks about addiction and how the, basically the American system dealing with people to do with drugs and addiction is essentially creating as many... It's like if you wanted to make a system to make as many ad- addicts as possible, that would be <laughs> a great way to do it, the American system. Yeah. There, there was a quote that I was thinking of before. I have it on my Instagram. And and it's by... What is your Instagram, by the way? We don't we don't plug anything ever. We no, really should probably do we, it more. We really should. Steve.rose.phd. Okay, it's easy enough. With a yeah, S-T-E-V-E. Yeah, S-T-E-V-E. I don't know why I need to clarify that. Dot R-O-S-E dot P-H-D. And if you wanted to check it out, uh, you can go add me on there. But uh, there's a recent quote picture that I recently put out in it. Uh, it's by Victor Frankl. Good old Victor. Good old Victor Frankl. He says, no person should judge unless they ask themselves in absolute honesty, whether in a similar situation, they might not have done the same. You know, that, I mean, this is a recurring pearl of wisdom from a bunch of different traditions. Like well, a Christian tradition too. I mean, a Christian, yeah. Like he who cast the first stone should be one without fault or whatever it is. Or the, was it the sliver in somebody else's eye when you have a log in your own? Mm-hmm. Something to that effect. Yeah. Judged lest ye be judged type of thing. Right. Many instances of that. Yeah. being reiterated. The psychological concept of fundamental attribution error has this broader wisdom tradition backing it. And you can really see the connection there. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
So the delusers exist. We determined that someone with, who's presenting with that kind of a more psychosis uh, wouldn't be applicable to label them in, the, in such a way, having a more compassionate response. I know in that episode, you came up with an example of someone who's just complains and doesn't change anything. And <laughs> that was kind of where you landed on using... Somebody that has the ability and to change, but then chooses not to. I've listened to a recent Sam Harris podcast on free will. I've listened to it twice now. That and the book, Self-Compassion, really good book that you apparently mentioned to everybody, but you just like did it in passing to me once. Yeah, That one is also very good, but they both kind of coincide on the same sort of thing that like we are, we're basically just like consciousness piloting a meat robot that has a bunch of calibrations and we're placed in a specific context in time and we're just kind of reacting to that. There is some control, but the metaphor I used for this when I was thinking about it, I sent to you was we didn't choose this ship and we didn't choose, we can't control the winds or the currents, but we, we can do what we can to like to captain the ship to try to help people on the way if we find drowning people we can hoist them up and help them into the the boat but however however good the boat is or however good the winds are favorable the winds or currents are we we don't have any real say over so i think Mm -hmm. given that like we can't blame somebody for not helping if they're unable to steer the boat in a way that would be conducive for helping yeah and this this whole discussion gets into the question of free will very much. Which clearly I, I don't really think is a thing. I even wrote an argument paper against it on one of my websites. <laughs> so if we don't have free will, then can anyone mm. really be a, a lazy loser? Like these types of labels that we would level at someone. Yes, because it's just the same as like any other attribute. You look at the average and then you see where they land on that spectrum. <laughs> if they're at the 99th percentile, you could say they're comparatively lazy. So quantitative. You, yeah, you would you would just come up with a metric and then see where they land. Yeah, yeah well, that, that's psychology, right? Yeah, like you have to, because people, the freaking annoying part about talking to people who have never studied it is they say that like you're generalizing too much. It's like, well, we're talking about a general population. What do you expect me to do? Speaking <laughs> specifics on individuals? Like what? What? Yeah. Like that's not how this works. Yeah. So yeah, like this is, this is how we approach these things. However, even without free will, that doesn't really matter because we're still responding to the environment. And mm-hmm. judgments like that, they still matter because even if we are just responding to the context, having a social context still affects how we act. So whether we choose to respond to the social context or not, again, that's still kind of built into the wiring that still would shape some people to be more or less likely to do something. Yeah. And it's correctly identifying when it's a situational factor and when it's an intrinsic factor. But I'm arguing that it's always situational because mm. like we never, we never choose the situation of our bodies. We never choose the situation of our, of a lot of things. We can try to influence them to some degree. Like I can choose to notice my mood and reframe it as, oh, it's been a bad day so far, but it will pick up and trying to go forward in that way. Even that I would have had to have come across across the idea and have the ability to notice that thought and to label it as something that needs to be fixed. Yeah. And all these things are situations that we don't choose. That's kind of what I'm saying. But I guess I'm getting maybe a little bit lost in the philosophy that I was saying I was worried about before the podcast, where maybe... A lot of the time when it comes to addressing these things, the reason that it matters for survival, a lot of the time going back to that, is that we need to be able to predict whether somebody else is going to be erratic or consistently violent or in some way not helpful or damaging to us and acting accordingly. And I think when it comes to strangers, we're just less liable to give them the benefit of the doubt in this way. Yeah. And it was kind of back to our first little quibble about uh, do causes affect how we should respond. And I say not necessarily. I think... uh, Wait, what do you... Can you clarify that question? Whether the person was 
rushing to the hospital and cut you off or they were just being selfish. It doesn't necessarily matter. You should still be careful around them either way. Yeah. Why it does matter in my argument is that it changes your level of anger and therefore your actions. Even though you should be cautious, it's hard to do so when you're now angry and wanting retaliation. Yeah. So the ethics of it um, and the psychology of it are a little bit separate. I guess going again back to this, I'm ringing that bell again. They're not choosing, even the person, like, let's suppose a person like gleefully cut you off. They're like, hey, watch <laughs> this. I'm going to, I'm going to screw this guy. I'm not going to like really put his life in danger. I'm going to freak him out. And they're laughing about it in yeah. the car. Even yeah. if that's the case, that person, that person did not choose to be such a psychopath, right? Oh, it's just foisted upon them. You just took it there. Wow. Yeah. That, that's where I was going with that whole, like, we don't choose any of these calibrations. They're just, whether I am very <laughs> sensitive to risk or not, I don't choose that. And uh, the way I kind of see personality these days, at least, human behavior in general is that we're just a, a bunch of different kind of thermostatic metrics. So like how much we need to, for something to be annoying, how much time or threshold before we get hungry or whatever, whatever these wow. kind of thresholds are met in different contexts, they'll, they'll be triggered in that way. Like that's kind of how I, I view our behavior or any animal's behavior really. Super deterministic. I am a determinist. Yeah. Because like it's the only thing that makes sense. Of course, things in the past affect things now. And we can't break out of that. <laughs> well, effect is different than determine. Um, you could say that if I throw a ball at your head and it hits you in the coconut, then that is determined that I threw the ball and it hits you in the head. My influence on the situation determined that you would get hit in the head. And assuming that my aim is great and you aren't paying attention. Now, the question would be, does it then determine my response as well? Yes. Or could I choose to respond differently by reframing it as, oh, he's just going through stuff right now? No. That's, that's misunderstanding because uh, your ability to rephrase it is yeah. part of you being able to, yeah. that's just part of your calibration, right? I know you would argue that, yes, I did choose to reframe it, but I was destined and determined based on my makeup. Not destined. I was yes. determined to, to, to reframe it based on my history and makeup. Yeah. It's a distinction between fatalism and determinism. Fatalism means that something that happens was always meant to happen. Yeah. Not the case. Uh, determinism is that based on who you are, yeah, your history, the state of the universe, you would do this and you can't do any other. Yes. It's almost like the algorithm predicted that you respond this way. Yeah. And to tie up the, this loose end, I, I can hear possibly some people having objections to. <laughs> if you want to talk about, say, quantum physics and being unable to predict that, and they seem to be completely random, then our choices, as Harris points out, is either we are determined by things that have happened and we have a choice, but we can't choose otherwise. It's just we will react in that situation the best we can at that time, or it's all fundamentally random at a, <laughs> at a quantum level. And then nothing is predictable at all. And everything is random. So either way, it doesn't seem to have space for free will. Either it's complete randomness or causes have effects. Sorry, effects have causes. This is getting super abstract. That's, that's as far as I wanted to go for that. Yeah. That's the final point. <laughs> Salvaging free will with um, with randomness is not a good course of action. Yeah. And the reason why we go so deep into free will, I guess, because you can't separate the discussion of free will from fundamental attribution error, theoretically. From attribution theory. Attribution theory. Yeah. But I guess in practice, we don't have to have a inner dilemma over free will every time someone cuts us off. Right. Yeah. You did ask me briefly earlier. I mean, like this is always dangerous with me if I had anything, any thoughts. <laughs> I have two notes here that came to mind as I was just waking up today, knowing that we were going to talk about this. One is that when I've been other, in other contexts or with people that don't know me very well, 
I would catch myself thinking something along the lines of like, oh, they only know this version of me. They don't know the real me. They don't see who I really am. When I was in Australia, I was broke as hell and I was eating a lot of grilled cheese because cheese there is hella cheap, man. I was like a kilogram of cheese for six bucks Australian, which is like four bucks US, I think. Yeah. So I was eating grilled cheese because it's the cheapest thing I could buy living like a a backpacking kind of hobo. And that that was the first time in my life that I actually did that. And I I remember thinking this distinctly at that time quite a bit, but I started kind of following that along the down the rabbit hole because it's like, okay, then who is the real me? Is, is there a real me? Is the me that you know, Steve, you? Do you know who the true me is? You know a context, a version of me, and you've seen me in various contexts. So I guess you have an idea. You have a better idea than most. But is that not still a version of me, still a true version of me, or is it not? Because I, I was in a different situation. It's one of many versions. Do you have a specific question about this? No, it was just a, a thought to do with that because my takeaway was that that is a version of me I, and we are all pluralities. We're all a bunch of different, yep. um, I would say states. I, I remember this this other talk, um, again, on Sam Harris, <laughs> I've listening to his podcast lately. Uh, this guy talking about how we have different personalities built into us, though I would change that. He was a psychedelics guy and so he would see it as when taking the psychedelics, it kind of removes you, removes the barrier between you and everything else for LSD, I think specifically. Mm-hmm. And they see themselves themselves as part of the universe and then they kind of zoom back in as they come down and they say oh i guess i was the universe i am still the universe but i guess i'm this pocket of the universe that is like this middle-aged accountant guy who likes star wars like that's that's who this guy is just kind of coming down and his perspective was that we all have different personalities to me it's just we all have different states of existing and how we respond to things Mm -hmm. there's a book called um changing it wasn't changing states, changing traits, I think it was called, because it made a distinction for meditation. If you meditate now, if you are a novice, then you can probably change your state, which is temporary. But they were arguing that over time, you can change a trait. So it's an enduring thing that you can do that over time, you'll subtly shift the direction of the ship, if going by that metaphor that I mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Changing your states often enough changes your, your trait, which is a kind of a, a brain pathway. Right. You're, you're digging a trough yeah. <laughs> toward, to, toward where you want to go. And every time you, you you traverse it once you go down that path once it, it yeah. makes it slightly deeper yeah. so the more you do it the more your brain's going to be primed to do it one other thing the last thing i want to say about the contextual self was that somebody pointed out that we have different personalities in different languages so who i am in chinese is vastly different than who i am in english because my chinese is so simple i can have basic conversations i will still have a, a similar philosophical underpinning but i won't have these discussions obviously because i can't so instead, who they see is like, that's a weird warped version of me, frankly. It's a, a sh- much shallower version, I think, they in some see ways. It's a very simple version of you. Yeah. And then I started thinking about that with a lot of my, my other friends, because a lot of them, English is a second language. Yeah. There's this quote from Modern Family, Sofia Vergara. She says, don't you know how funny I am in Spanish? Like, I have these jokes <laughs> and I have to translate them to English. And it just, what? It's frustration. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's, so, that was it. I, that's all my extra thoughts. That's really actually perfectly related to the last thing I wanted to bring up, which is related Great. to fundamental attribution error. It's actually called ultimate attribution error. Huh. The ultimate attribution error. It's the best one. The top one. It's the, the one you want to achieve. Yeah. Actually, it's the worst one. Uh, <laughs> it leads to genocide. Whoa. Ooh, oh, wow. this sounds like we're moving to essentialism, reducing groups down to an essential trait. Yes. So it's the same psychological process, but on the group level, right. it's a tendency right. to judge your in-group favorably. Um, and if something, if they do something bad, it's because of uh, situational factors and to right. judge oh. out groups as inherently bad because of uh, something inherent about that 
corruption, corrupt character. The corrupt yeah. character of so that. This group. one was called um, Ultimate Attribution Error. Ultimate Attribution Error. Okay, because I'm not familiar with this one. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. The It's like taking in-group, out-group dynamics to an extreme. Yeah. So th- this has huge uh, consequential effects, and you can look at uh, U.S. politics and how this has played out, particularly with the immigration. You know, before COVID, everyone was talking about immigration. It was all... Same with Europe, too. Yeah, immigration, the Brexit, uh, this was like the top news story every day. Uh, the the migration from Mexico and, and all of that, and how are they going to stop just a, it? generally a conservative playbook to get people scared and having like a unified enemy to push more restrictive authoritarian measures. So, I mean, like that's, that's not going to stop even like, even now there are people talking about that. Like China, for instance, kept saying that it was foreign causes, foreign people did this whenever there was an outbreak. But the thing is they weren't allowing foreigners even back into the country. They were mainly allowing Chinese nationals to return and with them came the virus. And so they just point out like foreigners, like it's just, we're othering groups uh, massively. It's just, for political gain, it seems. Anyway, we should talk about takeaways because we're we're reaching our, our limit for our normal time frame. So, what are your what are your big takeaways here? I think my big takeaways are that we can always see that everything is kind of contextual, and even like the things that we do that we are great to the things that we do that are shameful. Well, we should always aim to be better. We should be compassionate, I guess, is the number one thing for ourselves and for others, and be more understanding of the context that they're likely going through because if we were in their context we would be doing the exact same thing if we were them in their context that is and that's regardless of whether we think they did it on purpose which frankly they probably didn't they might at worst have been careless we can still choose to control our our response to these things because it's only going to hurt us if we end up flying off the handle you took the words right out of my mouth this is exactly the the way i was going to conclude and once again well steve then you are you're really good at these closings because again i took the words from your mouth Swooping, yeah, I guess I'm the great one now. I'm giving it to you. It's not, I, oh. I just, I'm psychically reading your mind from Toronto. Yes, yes. So this was my closing, narrated by Phil, took the words right out of my mouth. Right. The big takeaway is compassion. Some, yes, compassion is a takeaway. Compassion. Uh, before, we, before we cut off here, I, I do want to have a call to action, if you will. If you're listening to this on Spotify or Google Play, that, that sucks because apparently you can't <laughs> do any reviews on there. But if you like this, please share it to people. I'm priming you now. Please do it because we are small and nobody's heard of this yet. And also it helps us if you could put a review on some app. If it's not Spotify, not Google Play, you can put a review for us because apparently that helps push us to other people who might enjoy this, might find it valuable. If you found it valuable, please consider doing so. Yes, I agree. I I completely agree. (laughs) Also, um, we never really uh, really say it. I am Phil. He is Steve. You can find more of him at steverosephd.com. You can find more of me at hittingeject.com or makeaskillcheck.com. These are the ones I'm, I'm currently managing. That's, uh, that's it for housekeeping. So thanks for tuning in and we hope to see you again, to speak to you again <laughs> next time. Take care. I think it was very good. Sounds good to you at all times because you just love the sound of my voice and all my thoughts. All right, all right. Uh, that's...